It's Wednesday on Weagle, and that means it's time for some tailgate talk with Christian and Donovan, your go-to for all things college football. So get ready for a recap and a breakdown of all the college football scores, news, and predictions. So drop your tailgates, grab your playbooks, and get ready to talk some football. And welcome, welcome, everyone, to another Wednesday, and that means it is tailgate talk time. I am Donovan Weaver, and sitting to my right, as always, my very best friend in the whole wide world, Aww. Christian Griffin. How are you doing, buddy? Man, we're doing good. This was a heck of a week for college football. A couple games that we didn't even think about talking about ended up making huge, huge predictions and huge, um, what's the word, huge decide, or I guess decide moments for uh, for the college football playoff. Great intro right there. I messed that up pretty bad. No, 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 no. Very, very basic. I know last week I went on this like little soliloquy of – and now I just painted the picture all beautiful. But I said, no, let's just let's just keep it short and sweet yeah. today, and let's just get into the show because we actually have a pretty big show. You just want to run down what we got going? Yeah, definitely. So we'll start us off with a Week 10 recap. we got a couple games. We're going to start sticking to more of the college football playoff hopeful teams uh, as those games are obviously the ones that matter a little bit more now that we're into the college football playoff committees, rankings, and everything going along with that. Uh, we'll follow it up with a who's hot, who's not. Once again, we got another another great few segments there. And then we'll finish it up with the Week 11 preview and who's next for Auburn. We'll spend a little bit of time discussing head coaching options, their pros and their cons, and everything along with that. So we'll go ahead and jump right into it. Oh, yeah, real quick. I just wanted to shout out the city of Philadelphia on becoming the first ever city in in the world to lose two major championships in the same day uh the phillies obviously lost the uh, world series to the astros but then the uh philadelphia also lost the mls cup to uh nice. los angeles so they're the only city in history to lose two major championships in the same day that is impressive and i saw that Phil- uh, the, the phillies were the only like the only team in all of the major leagues who have never played in a game seven i thought that was pretty interesting too so are you can- serious they've never played in a game seven no <laughs> so Congrats! I, I mean, yeah, I mean that actually does kind of stink. <laughs> gotta I, win something. Yeah, I, I know soccer is uh, like the biggest sport in the world, but not overly that big in the U.S. But yeah. that does kind of stink that you have two teams vying for the nation's top uh, prize in that respective sport, and you lose both of them. But hey, at least the Eagles are looking really, really good this year. Yeah, they definitely are. So, uh, first off, we're just going to get started with a Week 10 recap. We have number four Clemson versus Notre Dame. Really surprising one here. Notre Dame just kind of blew him out of the water, 35-14. to 14. Uh, Dabo, as you said it here, he called it a can – we, can we say that over here? I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if we should take that risk. Yeah, yeah. Well, he said the, the A word, uh, whooping. <laughs> and then he also said, quote, we earned that loss tonight. Uh, what did you see in that one? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't – I don't know if you want to say – we didn't even really feel competitive, we're being honest. Uh, Notre Dame only completed nine passes for 85 yards throughout the entire game. They ran for 263 yards on 47 carries. Their longest yard or their longest carry was only 20 yards. So it wasn't like Notre Dame necessarily had chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. It was almost just like they abused the Clemson front four for the entire game. Uh, DJ, uh, you want to say his last name, or you want me to just go for it again? You go for it. All right, yeah. yeah. DJ, uh, Yui Ungale, 
Uh, he was benched once again. But again, it's another weird game. Uh, Notre Dame only led 14 to nothing heading into the fourth quarter. But the 35 to 14 final, uh, 21 points in the fourth quarter. Notre Dame had two non-offensive touchdowns. They blocked a punt in the first quarter and a 96-yard pick six in the fourth. Clemson, oh boy, falls to 10th in the college football playoff rankings. And I don't know where these percentages come up with. Uh, but there's only a 28% chance for Clemson to make it to the playoffs now. I mean, no offense. I'm not trying to be mean towards Clemson here, but after that, I don't see how you put them in. No. Even if they win the ACC, you just got smacked by Notre Dame, who's lo- who lost to Marshall, I yeah. believe. Mm-hmm. Lost to Marshall. Um, lost to a lot of – lost to their, their three losses are not very good. I know no. they beat Syracuse, but Syracuse also lost this weekend. So, I don't know. But uh, shout-out to Kay Klubnik uh, coming in and throwing a pick on his first uh, pass attempt. I think his only pass attempt. It was, actually. yeah. It was, it was his only pass attempt. And, I mean, yeah, if we want to give credit to Marcus Freeman, I mean, I guess that's a – that is a program-building win, definitely, if you're looking at it. But, again, like Clemson and like the committee we've talked about – you know, the question would be, well, does that does that loss look as bad as, say, Oregon versus Georgia in week one? Well, the answer is yes, because that was week one. Yeah, I, and I, it is. It's an interesting topic. But, yeah, yeah shout out to Marcus Freeman after, you know, you, you lose to Marshall and people are thinking, well, this is going off the rails. I think they lost to Stanford, too. Yeah. And Stanford's not very good this year. Congratulations to them just kind of riding the ship, a 6-3, and three, and they're ranked number 20, so they are uh, making a little climb up the poles. Uh, next, we got Texas Tech versus TCU. Um, well, I mean, TCU taking care of uh, business there, 24-34. What did you see there? Max Dugan. I mean, I feel like we I feel like he's a weekly name, almost a, a first-name basis kind of guy here that we talk about. Uh, I mean, he struggled early. Uh, I mean, if we're being honest, the whole offense struggled early. TCU's only touchdown through the first three quarters was a punt return for a touchdown. Um, Max Dugan. Uh, as we know best, comes alive in the fourth quarter. I guess the second half, essentially, but definitely the fourth quarter. He was 8 of 19 on the day for 137 yards through three quarters. That's not too not too impressive, but once again, fourth quarter, Max Dugan. Four for four for 58 yards and two touchdowns. Threw the ball, honestly, only when he needed to. I think they ran the ball 20 times in between those four passes. Uh, but I have it here that he needs the nickname of Mariano Rivera, or if we're going 2016-2017 fourth quarter Isaiah Thomas with the Celtics for how he closes games out. I'm kind of proud of those right there. I mean, I don't know if we, we can stick with that, but uh, if he hears it, I think he needs to go ahead and you know devo- uh, adopt those names. No, I think he should. No, Max Dugan, we, we've been – We've been saying it all year. He's got 2,400 yards on the season, 24 touchdowns, only two interceptions. So you see those splits, 24 to two. Little Nick Foles X back in 2013 when he played with the Eagles <laughs> got a QBR of 80, which is the 14th in the country. But again, he's he's been killing it all year, and he just showed again why he is he honestly one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. And uh, so that brings us to our next game, the biggest game of the weekend. Uh, number one Tennessee played number three Georgia. I. Uh, and, again, wasn't really surprised by this outcome. Georgia took care of business 27-13. Don't feel like that score kind of encapsulates what actually happened. Though. No. Georgia had their way with Tennessee. They did, and it's funny. We talked about we wouldn't be surprised by whatever score happened, but I think we were both referring to that being a 45-31 or a 41-31, something along those lines. Uh, I'm surprised by 27-13, only 40 points being scored. Granted, Second half was a downpour, uh, didn't really affect both teams. It's funny, I actually got questioned by a couple of my buddies asking, you know, did, did, did the rain help Georgia's defense because, you know, how, how, how proficient Tennessee's passing offense is? Well, you look at it, the answer is no. 
because look at what they did in the first half. It was 21 to three at halftime. Tell me what Tennessee's offense did against Georgia's defense in in without the rain. Exactly. Good nothing. answer. Yeah, but say nothing. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just shook my head. If it, I know y'all can't see it, we're not on camera, but I just shook my head. They did absolutely. So nothing. yeah, in my opinion, I feel like if anything, that helped Tennessee's defense because both teams could just you know bail out on the run, and Tennessee's honestly lucky that the score was only twenty-seven to thirteen because once again, Georgia's defense looked dominant. Georgia's passing game looked very well with Stetson Bennett, and I love the. I don't know if you heard the story about all the phone calls that he received. Did you hear about all that? I actually haven't, no. So Stetson's phone number was leaked the night before the game, and he said that he got over 700 calls and messages from, I guess, Tennessee fans trying to call him. So we, when he ran in that 13-yard rushing touchdown uh, in the first quarter, he you know held up the phone with his fingers and was saying, like, call me, nice. call me. I like and I just one. feel like that that's – it's a solid way to go about things. Yeah, class by him. No, I, I figured it was time. Tennessee has been riding this really big high, and I figured at some point they were going to run into kind of a wall, and they did. And Georgia, honestly, I think they're the best team in the country. I think they have the best athletes in the country. Uh, I think they proved that Saturday. They didn't even play that good of a game, no. they, and they still controlled it pretty well. Hendon Hooker, they shut him just completely down. Uh, he had 18 carries and with only 17 yards, so he averaged .9 a carry. In, in rushing, and that's obviously one of his big attributes is that not only is he a great thrower of the football, but he can you know extend the play and run, and they shut him down. Yeah, they did, and it's funny because we talked about it as this game being a bigger, a bigger needing for a win for Georgia than it was for Tennessee, which is crazy to think about considering both teams were undefeated, but we were talking about it, the one-loss Georgia team would slide into the fourth or the fifth or the sixth spot, and then all of a sudden if Oregon won out, as a conference champion, that would create so many discussions there. But now with Georgia winning, unless they happen to screw up before Atlanta, which is their schedule is Mississippi State this weekend at Kentucky the following week in Georgia Tech, I don't think that they'll lose any of those three games. So even with a loss in Atlanta to LSU, I'm guessing who controls their own destiny, I think they'd still slide into the the three or the four spot regardless as a one-loss team. But if we're being honest, Tennessee should be the second happiest team in the country right now, <laughs> other than Georgia, because of Bama's loss and Clemson's loss. That makes it to where now Tennessee slides into the Bama spot in 2017, where a one-loss team that did not play for the conference championship could slide in at four, especially with TCU having to play, with Ohio State still having to play Michigan, with Oregon and UC- USC still having to play in the Pac-12 championship. Both of those teams are currently one-loss teams. So that four spot could easily be wide open, and it's already even more wide open now with Bama and, if we're going to call Clemson, essentially eliminated from the playoff. Yeah, no, I was actually I was going to make this point. Uh, Tennessee lose, and I'm not going to lie, I thought they were done. You lost, you're done. And then the Bama game happened, yeah. and that just completely shook it up. So I guess we'll just go into that one right now. Alabama did fall to LSU in overtime. Uh, LSU went for a two-point conversion. They just went for it, and they got it, and yeah. then they – We'll talk about the celebration later because <laughs> something really great happened. But, no, this really is – it's interesting because it, it has huge playoff implications for someone like Tennessee who yeah. – whereas if Bama wins out and then you have Georgia and Bama undefeated in the SC Championship, the loser of that has a good shot of getting in. But now that Bama or, – or Bama's a one-loss team. But now that Bama has two losses, it's probably pretty much guaranteed that even if someone from the uh, – Unless somebody from the West wins the SEC championship, nobody from the West is getting in, no. whether that be LSU or Bama, if LSU does fall to somebody else. But you can go ahead and talk about that game a little bit, what happened in it. Yeah. Um, Jaden Daniels, 22 of 32, 182 yards, three total touchdowns, 95 rushing yards. He looked 
he looked okay. I don't I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like he took over the game and completely dominated the game. I mean, give credit to where he's due. He's the starting quarterback and just beat Alabama. But I think the bigger picture is that I think it's clear that both coordinators for Alabama will be gone next year. The offense just did not find any sort of rhythm. The defense is not an Alabama defense that you're used to seeing, whether they're at home or not. It just Things don't seem like they're there, whether it's scheming or whether it's just the players. I just feel like something is not necessarily there. Bryce Young only completed 49% of his passes, which is the lowest of his career. And it's just weird looking at it because, again, it's one of those games where you look at it, Alabama still outscored LSU by almost 100 yards. So you're, you're you're kind of wondering, like, you know, how was this game as close as it was? But it was just the way that Alabama chose to run things and just couldn't get stops. It, it's, it's it, Again, it's just like it's weird looking at it from an Alabama perspective because, like, what happened? Yeah, for some reason, and I don't know, this, this goes towards, like, the fans and the rhetoric, but Alabama has two losses for the first time in a while in the regular season. And – their fans are like, we got to fire everybody. And then people are saying, I heard Greg McRoy said that Bama's in trouble. Paul Feinbaum was like, they're in trouble. Yeah. Guys, they lost two games. That That's what happens to most programs. Most people, <laughs> hey, hey, guess what? Hey, if Auburn, two? If Auburn was 10-2 and two right now, hey, I t- I, shoot, I, t- I take 7-5 I take right now. But yeah. I, just, I, d- I just don't get this. The dynasty's over because they lost two games. No. I mean, they lost a the Tennessee game. They could have won that game. And the, the best environment – probably we're going to see this year. And then, again, they went into Death Valley at night, and LSU was all pumped up. Bama probably wasn't really up for that game, and they lost a close one, which arguably they should have won this one too. So I just don't know how you can say the dynasty is over when you lose two games against two quality teams. Yeah, you you lose two games in two of yeah the two of the best environments of the year. And the, the thing that's the funniest with me is you say the dynasty is over, yet both of your losses result in field stormings. I feel like those almost contradict each other because it's like, oh, we just won a normal game. Let's storm the field. No, you're going, we just beat Alabama. Let's storm the field. So, And, <laughs> and obviously Alabama Ole Miss is coming up this week, and we will talk about that when we get into our uh, previews. But if Ole Miss wins this weekend, then, you know, yeah, I mean, it, you'll yeah, storm the field yeah, I'm about again. about to say, <laughs> we're just going to storm the field. Yeah. And then if Auburn beats them in the Iron Bowl, we're going to storm, you know, Bryant-Denny, where we're storming the field there. So. Oh, oh, okay. oh, a little bit. I'm just, <laughs> no, but I'm just kidding. But we are going to take a little break. We will be back with who's hot and who's not. You're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Christian has always already brought out the Chick-fil-A sandwich. He said, he said he's got the munchies right now. They're just going to let me take over the show from here on out. No, I'm, yeah, just yeah. I'm just kidding. But we It'd are, be better anyway. Hey, we'll we, we, be much better. I agree. But we got <laughs> – we got uh we got our favorite segment that we love doing. We got the who's hot, who's not. We have three apiece this week. Christian, you want to give us our first one? Yeah. First off, shout out. We actually do have hots this week. We do. <laughs> For well, like the past three weeks, it's just been like ten different knots that we've we've gone down the list. But we actually do have a couple hots, and we're gonna start it off with Mr. Brett Thorson, a name that I guarantee you nobody other than maybe his family and a couple other people have heard the name of. But uh, Georgia goes three and out on, I believe it was their second or third drive of the game. On their own 24, halfway through the first quarter, you know, punter goes to try and flip the field position. And oh, does he ever. Um, I don't want to go as far to say the greatest punt ever because I've seen a couple of like the, the wind ones in California or Colorado where it's they go 80, 90 yards. But uh, if you want to see 
one of the better punts that you'll ever see. Go check out this one right here. Punts it from the 24-yard line all the way down to the one-yard line, and it wasn't even downed. Uh, it hits and goes, shoots to the right and goes out of bounds at, I mean, I would arguably say the half-yard line. And if you want to talk about punters are athletes too and how punters affect the game. So Georgia, you know, downs the ball at the one or goes out of bounds at the one. Tennessee goes three and out, which I don't, you know, I don't want to know. It could have been a safety. I don't know if we should talk about that play. But uh, Tennessee then punts and Georgia scores on the next play. So that's a that's a total not a, not only a field position flip but a momentum shift. Yeah, no, no, it was it was huge in that game to see that. And you are correct. I did not know that name until you yeah, said it you and, until the game. But it's what tailgate talk does for you, you just yeah, bring really, out knowledge that that you don't know of. And now next time you watch a Georgia game, you'll get Brett Thorson, hey. I've heard that name I've before. I've heard that name before. And there you go. For, well, for the second hot, I'm going to be honest, we kind of debated on whether to put this in the hot or, or to whether to put this in the not. And we're children, so obviously we put it in the, <laughs> we put it in the hot. Uh, Mike Leach uh, defeated Auburn this week. You could week. just say Mike Leach. Like yeah, yeah. Mike Leach defeated Auburn this week and Mississippi State beat Auburn. We will talk about that game later on. We're going to get to Auburn and head coaching search and all that good stuff. But after the game, uh, apparently he didn't think his uh, team played that well. Thought they played kind of sloppy. And he said, quote, instead of playing hard, you want to sit behind shade and tree, eat a fish sandwich, and drink a lemonade with your fat little girlfriend. (laughs) We shot for that too often, end quote. What does that mean? (laughs) I wish I knew. I wish that I could go into the mind of Mike Leach and I would have been able to. It would have been awesome. So I actually covered this game. I, I went to, to Starkville, sat up in the press conference. Shout out to them, the way that they, they hosted. It was a, a great atmosphere and a great setting for um, for guys like me. I mean, that was my first trip to Starkville and, you know, being able to see the stadium and get, uh, like, the press food and everything like that. It was a great job there. But if it was not Cadillac's first game, I probably would have gone to that Mike Leach post-game press conference just to just to say that I've seen him in person and heard it and I would have get, like if, if I would have been there for that it would have been amazing once again I wouldn't give up the Cadillac post-game press conference because it was it was absolutely insane just to hear from him but yeah Drinking, drinking a lemonade, eating a fish sandwich with your fat little girlfriend. Fat little girlfriend, and uh, he said shade tree. He didn't say shaded or shade in the a tree. Shade tree. It's a shade tree. So new, new tree has been created by yeah. Mike Leach, which honestly not surprising. That man is uh, he's an enigma. He's he's everywhere, and nowhere at once. He is, and you know, shout out to Mike Leach again. I saw a video of him. I think it was either late in the third, early in the fourth. But he was folding up all of the offensive chairs. I don't know if you saw that on the sideline. Uh, and he said that the way that the offense was playing, they didn't deserve to sit down when they weren't on the field. So it's just him calmly folding up the chairs and tossing them, folding up the chairs and tossing them. And, like, the two little trainer girls are, like, walking behind him, like, picking them up. And it's just that, that's, that's just so funny right there. But, yeah, that's it was a heck of a game if, you're, if you didn't really care who won. But what a great quote. Is a great quote of many, and yeah. at this point, he gives so many great quotes. I feel like we're gonna have to stop quote quoting it, but I'm sorry when he he finds new ways to make it interesting. I feel like he was like, okay, I like I've said all this outrageous stuff. I really I really got to say something really far out there. Yeah, and, I know, want to know if he like plans this or if it's, this is just off the dome. This is just what what comes out. It's got it's got to be off the dome. It, it's it's so incoherent. It's so here. <laughs> you inc- can't make it up. It's so incoherent. I mean, sit behind a shade tree, eat a fish sandwich. <laughs> Yeah. Drink lemonade with your fat little girlfriend, but you want to go ahead with number three. We can yeah, talk about more, this all day. Yeah, one more thing though. It was funny. I was walking to um, 
I was walking back to my truck after the post game, uh, the post conference, and everything like that, and I didn't know where the parking deck was because I had to walk around the stadium to get to the to get the media pass and everything. So I didn't know which way to go, and uh, I asked a guy if he knew where it was. And he was like, "Yeah, just follow me." It turns out he was a Mississippi State football player. Like, he just got done playing and was walking, um, walking either back to his dorms or somewhere, and. You know, so we were talking about the game a little bit, and I, I had to ask him. I was like, "Man, so, so tell me about Coach Leach. Like, what do you think of him?" And he, his response was, "Yeah, he's a, he's a weird dude." And I just feel like that's the perfect way to to describe him. I mean, he seems like a great guy. You know, he, he's a player's coach. He lets you do, you know, what you want. But if 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 he doesn't like what what he's seeing, you know, you 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 won't be eating a, a fish sandwich with your fat girlfriend anytime soon. No, no, you will not be. But uh, going on to the third and the final hot, uh, it's a video that's been going around, and it's a heck of a video if of that. So after the two point conversion from LSU to beat Alabama thirty two to thirty one, while everybody's storming the field, before everybody gets to the field, there's I don't I don't even know what his job was or anything like that. But uh, his nickname around social media has been Big Red. And we'll, so we'll, we'll refer to him as that. Well, Big Red, as soon as the two-point conversion is caught and run, run as soon as it's ran in, uh, he picks up the back pylon and you just see him booking He books it. it. He's like, that's mine. I'm booking. I loved it. I loved every second of it. The video itself is hilarious, but I don't know how much money I would give to be inside of his mind for – however long he was standing there planning it. Because it wasn't like, a, oh, we scored a, a, a pylon. Yeah, let it was, describe that. He's like, oh, that's my he pylon. Was like, yeah, I'm this getting is, that pylon. This is, this is my pylon. So I, I want to know how long he had been planning for that. Like, I want to know if he was you know, at like the 20 or something and all of a sudden was like, you know, if we score, I'm going to take that I'm pylon. getting that pylon. So he you know, sneaks right down there, and as soon as the play goes final, picks it up and runs – uh, and I want to see his 40-speed clock, too, because I guarantee oh, it's, it's probably be the fastest that he's ever ran. I, I want to give him credit, too, because, again, beating Alabama is one of the biggest things in college football over the past 10 years. And the big story on ESPN, when they, they obviously they post the play where they won, but then literally like a couple minutes later, it's just him yeah. taking <laughs> off with it. And it's like he's become like a bigger story than yeah. the whole game. Oh, 100%. Because it's, because it's a great camera shot of the final play. Yeah. Like you see it, and then you just see You just him. see the corner. Yeah, because it's, it's him, and it's not quite going from the corner of the pylon to the middle of the field it's almost like uh he's standing you know at where like the the g is for goal line or whatever and you just see like the bottom left corner you see him pick it up and just take off and i find i think the video is hilarious but the backstory i would love to to see what he was thinking of but i could definitely see lsu making like a little meme out of him or something no they definitely need to to. they need to find him and interview him yeah but (laughs) You want us? Get, Maybe want, we can find them or something. That, that'd be great. We, we actually need we need to we need to talk to their uh, to their people. Maybe we can get them on the show. But you want to get us started with the knots? Yeah. So the knots. Uh, you know, again, the great segment of what bad things happened in college football this week. We're gonna start it off with Iowa. Not good. This play was bad, but thankfully they're not the ugly. If you see what I what yeah, I did. Nah, there. I you, that was very smart. Um, very, so uh, a goal line shotgun snap. You know, we've seen this play hundreds of times. Uh, the jet sweep motion, you fake the jet sweep handoff to the running back to you know to try and get the defense to bite on the jet sweep a little bit. Again, we've seen that play hundreds of times, right? Well, I don't know if we've seen it like this too many times. Uh, I think the running back and the receiver both thought that they were getting the handoff. And long story short, I believe the running back is now getting looks at middle linebacker because of the hit that he put on his receiver. 
the receiver ended up getting the 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 ball and again, you know, he's starting to look downfield. The running back is right there and it seems like he almost lowers his shoulder, you know, to protect himself, but next thing you know, you see you see the receiver's feet up in the air. And it's it's a heck of a hit nonetheless, but the fact that the fact that it's your own guy. And again, it's Iowa. I feel like I feel like we've hated again. Our second one that you have, we'll give Iowa a little bit of credit, but when when you're a laughing stock, you just gotta you gotta take the moment. I mean, it's impressive to see, not in a good way, but it's impressive to watch. I about to say, I think the Hawkeyes are our number one team. We've talked about that aren't anywhere near the playoff mix. We might we might have talked about them more than Auburn, surprisingly, because there was a there was a good like three weeks there. We didn't really mention Auburn much because. Nothing was really happening. We were just losing, and Harson was still here, and just nothing happened. But that does lead us into the second one. Uh, so Iowa's playing, and they're playing at Purdue. You know the Boilermakers. Yeah. Uh, we watched a couple of years ago. Uh, Jarrett said them beat them in the Music City Bowl. So Purdue has a train uh, that leads the team out of the tunnel every game. Well, unfortunately, that train broke down, <laughs> <laughs> and it had to be pushed off the field by a group of people and you can tell I don't know go watch the video they're struggling yeah. like that that thing must be really heavy and then after that happens I always be some by 24 points yeah so just I mean that's just not a good look not, no, not a good look for the Purdue Boilermakers it's not at all uh yeah because not only did their train break down but their offense and I mean I guess defense for that matter too broke down Allowing off, or allowing the Iowa offense to score 33 more points. I'm sorry, 33 percent more points than they usually do. They average, average 16 a game, put up 24. Yikes. Yeah, I'm sorry, Purdue, but hey, you know, hey, good for Iowa. They got the win. Yeah, it's been it's been a struggle there in Hawkeye Nation. Yeah, we'll go quickly through this one, but once again, it's another day, another bad bet. Uh, again, I feel like this just explains to us that we don't need to go into sports betting because. There's just too many things that happen like this. This is by far the worst one of the week. Troy versus Louisiana. Troy was favored by three and a half, but a big a big portion of the bets were for Louisiana to cover uh, the three and a half since they were at home. Uh, with three seconds left in the third quarter, the Raging Cajuns were leading 17 to nothing. Troy scores on the or I guess to end the third quarter to make it 17-7. Louisiana still has 13 and a half points to play with to cover. So the Cajuns go three and out to start the fourth. Troy gets the ball back. Troy scores a 35-yard touchdown on third and eight with 12 minutes left to make it 17-14. Okay, all right. (laughs) Cajuns get the ball back. We're going to be okay. So you fast forward 11 minutes. Uh, Troy has added on another field goal to make it 17-17. Third and five at what I believe was the Troy, like, 40. So they weren't even to midfield yet. Uh, There's an awful pass interference call, awful not because of the penalty, but the way that the penalty happened. I don't I don't know if this ball would have been catchable, but the slot receiver just ran ran a straight seam and the safety essentially just hugged him. It was like he was beat so bad that that he just he just hugged him. And so it gets the first down, new set of downs. Uh fast forward a little bit further, third and six on the Louisiana twenty two. Um no, I'm sorry. That was this was the play before. So they get a first down on third and six to get it down to the Louisiana 22. Ten seconds left. You know Troy's just gonna try and get a few yards, call a timeout, get in a field goal range. If that was the case, Louisiana would still cover because they'd only lose by three instead of three and a half. Well, a wide open hole, and you can see where I'm going. Troy scores a touchdown with two seconds left to win 24 to 17. So the three and a half was not covered. 
And, oh, yeah, that's a bad bet. Yeah, and thankfully it's a bad bet because, as you know, I did attend Troy my freshman year of college, and I was rooting for him pretty hard that game. I watched that game. I thought it was over. I actually turned it off, and then somebody texted me and was like, hey, Troy actually could win this game. I turned yeah. it on in the fourth quarter. We scored to uh, make it 14-17, and the rest is history. So congl- congratulations to the Trojans. I'm glad you broke the hearts of all those betters out there that thought <laughs> that thought the uh, Raging Cajuns were going to get it done. We are going to take a little break. We will be back with a Week 11 preview. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. We are going to get into our Week 11 preview. Not a whole lot of huge games this weekend, surprisingly, or at least ranked games. There's only three. Well, I guess technically there's four, but that's the UCF game. And I don't really want to talk about Gus Bus. I don't really care all that too much about him. But the first one is number 25, Washington, versus number 6, Oregon. It is at Oregon. Oregon is favored by 13.5 points. Oregon obviously trying to get in there and try to make it to the college football playoff. With Bo Nix leading the way, a Heisman campaign at that. His numbers are pretty incredible. You have Dan Lanning up there, the coach at Oregon. Uh, obviously, I think a lot of people want him here on the Plains. Uh, but if you listen to his press conference, I think it was yesterday or the day before, he said, no, I'm here to stay. Yeah. The grass is always greener. And I don't blame him. Uh, Oregon, as a, as a football team, has the facilities. They have the money. They have Nike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a great place to coach. People want to go there. But how do you see this game shaking out? Yeah, again, back to that, the grass is greener quote. I think it's a perfect way to answer any questions as a head coach saying, you know, in the world of college football we live in, everybody's looking for the next thing, especially when they're settled there. And he was saying the grass isn't always greener, but it's dang sure green in Eugene right now. Um, and he's going to stay as long as he's welcome. I just feel like that's a that's a great answer. I'm, with that said, that better be his mentality. Otherwise, he's going to get a lot of hate for, for pouring – you know, praise into into Oregon and then you know, in the backing up, but yeah, Bonex is clearly having fun this year. Uh, it's it's not sad to see because I think we were both big Bonex fans, but for the the average Auburn fan who saw Bonex as the problem last year, um, I don't want to say like told you so, but you can <laughs> you can kind of put things together. So yeah, the uh, the key to this game is going to be whether or not the Oregon defense can stop. Uh, that Washington pass attack. Uh, Michael Penix Jr. has thrown for over 3,200 yards so far this season. I think both offenses are going to be able to score, but Oregon's going to be able to get a few stops when they need to, and I think Bo's legs are going to be the difference in this game. He's got over 400 rushing yards on the season. He's close to the Washington's Washington's running back uh, total rushing yards, so the fact that Oregon's quarterback is doing that it shows how electric Bo's legs are. And I got Oregon right at the cover mark. I got him 45-31. to 31. Yeah, I'm actually I'm, I'm going to concur with you. I think Oregon's just the better team in this one. Bo Nix, again, he's top 20 in passing yards, top 15 in touchdowns, uh, passing touchdowns with 22, only five interceptions, and an 88.3 QBR, which is the sixth best in the nation and again if you take off that Georgia game he's he's even higher he's way higher than that in QBR because obviously that was a mess for just the Oregon as a whole but since then they've been off and running and I don't really see Washington posing a threat they might play with them a little bit Washington has a pretty good offense but 
I don't know. I think I think Oregon might score a touchdown literally on every possession they get. Yeah. <laughs> so unless Washington can win the turnover battle big, I don't see this one being close. I actually got Oregon a little bit uh, higher than you do. I got it fifty-two to thirty-five. Okay. Again, I think Washington scores on Oregon. I don't think Oregon's defense is particularly great, but I think their offense is just electric, and I don't really see that game being close. But the next one we got is number four TCU versus number eighteen Texas, and this surprised me. This is at Texas. And Texas is favored by seven. And the reason it surprised me is because Texas, while they have looked amazing and they should have beat Bama and you have all that, they've also – it's kind of been like Ole Miss. They looked really bad at points this season. And I know TCU has kind of been up and down where, like, they look awful in, like, the first half and then they turn it on and then they're off to the races. So, they're like, well, when you face a good team, that's just not going to work. Right. I don't know, though. I feel like seven points is kind of disrespectful to Texas Christian University. But what you got in that one? Yeah, again – there's not too many times where a three-loss team is a touchdown favorite to the fourth-ranked team in the country. Um, I think the committee is – again, you look at the talent that Texas has and the losses that they have, they continue to get less and less impressive, I guess, if you want to say. You know, blowing the lead to Oklahoma State. Well, Oklahoma State's gone from a playoff favorite to – I don't even know if they're ranked anymore. Uh, losing th- – I think it's three of the last four – um, they're very high on Texas, the committee is, obviously having them as the 18th-ranked team in the country with, with three losses. But again, yeah, I feel the same way. A touchdown favorite to the fourth-ranked team in the country and someone who I believe should be on the Heisman campaign list, Max Dugan, just the fact of his ability to take over a game and his ability to work fast with that TCU offense but to not turn the ball over – TCU's defense gives up close to 400 yards a game, and that's going to be one of the one of the big question marks, not the biggest one, but they're going to have to be able to stop Ewers uh, through the air and then B. John Robinson obviously on the ground. You're going to have to take away one of the two. You can settle for one of the two being okay, but if both are on and both are clicking, that's when that offense just moves down the field and both feed off of each other to make both more effective. Uh, Dugan's going to have to come out hot. He's not going to be able to stick to his second-half starts. Um that he's – I mean, I guess we can't say that he's a common to having. It's just all of a sudden that's what gets what's, what gets looked at when you have such a great second-half performance. But it's a huge game for TCU because there's no breathing room in the college football playoff because if they lose to Texas, that game does not look as good as Tennessee's loss to Georgia in Athens against what, what's the number one team in the country, who's Tennessee is at five in the playoff rankings. So – you obviously know who Tennessee is cheering for. But, again, the biggest key for me, wide receiver star and former he is the man. Um, I think we well, honestly both could have picked him um, with his performance against Kansas. But he's currently questionable for this game. He's got 42 receptions on the year, 650 yards, and four touchdowns. So right now, if he's playing, I have TCU by a touchdown. But, honestly, if he's not playing, I could, I'll could i do a 10-point swing and I'll say Texas will win this 41-38. to Yeah, this is a big game. This is a big game for the Horned Frogs in general because if they can win this game, then all they do, they got they got to go to Baylor, yeah. and then they have Iowa State at home, and that's pretty much it. And they can pretty much glide into the college football playoff because they are undefeated. They will get in. There's not a question yeah. about that because right now the rankings stand, Georgia's one, Ohio State's two, Michigan's three, and TCU's four, and they are the only undefeated teams in the country, those four right there, and Ohio State and Michigan play, so one of them are going to knock the other one out, so if TCU can get this done, they're in, the problem is will they, I'm kind of like with you, 
it, it, it kind of depends on the health of TCU. I think if everyone's healthy, I got them. But if not, I don't know. You know what? I I just feel like this happens a lot. I feel like it always happens to Oklahoma State where you get one of these teams like an Oklahoma State or TCU, and they're like undefeated going in like to like week 11 or 12, and then they lose. Yeah. And so I honestly could see Texas running away with this one. I don't think they will, but I do got them to win. I got Texas winning uh, 38 to 34. I think it'll be a really close game, but I think Quinn Ewers uh, leads them over the Horn Frogs. And then we got a pretty big one here in the SEC for just the West title. If LSU does falter, this is huge. Number nine, Alabama versus number 11, Ole Miss. Alabama is ranked by 12, and it at, is at Ole Miss. Are you supi- surprised by that Vegas odds, or is that pretty par for the course? I don't know. I feel like the argument could go either way, so I guess that the 12 is is respectable just because – of what Ole Miss's defense lacks. You know, obviously Alabama has its struggles on the road. Alabama, their offense has not clicked for the past the past couple weeks, um, you know, even going back to the Texas A&M game where they put up 24 points. But that Ole Miss is just – they're not known for their defense. They're giving up uh, close to 400 yards a game compared to Bama's just over 300 Jackson Dart and Quinshawn Judkins will be able to move the ball, so the Alabama the Alabama offense is going to have to be able to put up points. But I think Bryce is going to have time to throw. He's going to be able to sit in the pocket for a little bit, and so because of that, I like I like Alabama. But with twelve right now, give me give me Ole Miss to cover. I got Bama by 10, 41 to thirty one. Yeah, this is, this is an interesting one because both teams are playing for a lot. Because you see LSU, their remaining schedule. I think they have Arkansas, UAB, and A and M. And you have to think that they're going to win all three of those games. So this game might not even matter in the grand scheme of things. But if LSU does falter, Ole Miss could easily slip in that uh, that West standings. But they have to beat Alabama. That's a tall task. I just don't see it happening unless Bama is somehow down from losing uh, from from losing the previous week against LSU. I could see them maybe coming into this game. Fans again are not behind them at all. I mean, I've talked to a lot of Alabama fans, and this happens every year when Bama loses one. They lose two. They're like, "Well, I'm done with this team. This team's not, this team's awful. We need to fire everybody," which is something that's kind of annoying about Alabama fans when you lose two games. <laughs> I and, wasn't gonna say it. Yeah, but I mean, when you lose two games, and then you you feel like the world's collapsing behind you. So I don't know. May, maybe Ole Miss has caught Bama at a really good time. Maybe they're really down right now, and they they're hearing the talk, and the fan support's going away. But on the flip side, I could just fire them up, and they might come out and just beat the crap out of the Rebels. So I can honestly see this game kind of going either way. But if I if I had to put money on it, I do think Bama does cover. I think Bama wins forty two to twenty four. But again, it wouldn't really surprise me if Ole Miss won this game or like made it really close. But I don't know. I feel like Alabama has way too much fire player power, and if they play like they should, they will they'll blow them out of the water. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I feel like. You know, we're we'll take a short break here in just a minute, but you know, kind of easing into easing into the discussion of Auburn head coaching options for Auburn. If you're wanting Lane Kiffin, I feel like Alabama has to win this game because if Ole Miss beats Alabama and is essentially tied with LSU, obviously they lose the tiebreaker head to head for the SEC West title. But if Ole Miss wins this game. And Ole Miss could go eleven and one, and let's. Well, I haven't even thought about this. I don't have this written down there. But if LSU or if Ole Miss's one loss is to LSU, who is going to the SEC championship? What makes Ole Miss's argument any less sufficient than Tennessee's argument? Yeah, who a one loss team is 
or yeah, for a one-loss team where their only loss is playing in the SEC championship, then all of a sudden you're looking at it. Okay, well now there's two one-loss SEC te- SEC teams who are trying to fight for that spot. So I mean, I didn't even think about that until just now, but it honestly it provides even more impact for what is seemingly a, a relatively calm committee right now with Alabama losing and Clemson losing, but that could change up a whole lot of things. But again, if you, I feel like as an as an Auburn fan, if you're if you're wanting Mr. Kiffin, and I'll I'll raise my hand to to that right there, then you're going to want Alabama to win, and you're going to want Alabama to look really good, so that it eases the pain and <laughs> eases the transition from Lane Kiffin to the Plains, if that would be the case. But there's a couple other names on that list. We're going to take a short break before we get into the discussion. You're listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Well, it is time to talk about the Auburn Tigers, and they did fall to the Mississippi State Bulldogs 33-39 to in overtime this weekend. It was a was a really great game. Uh, interim head coach Cadillac Williams gave a really great, like, emotional kind of little – pregame thing like right before kickoff that they went and interviewed him and you can tell he's emotional because yeah. he, he didn't talk for about seven seconds he yeah. just sat there and kind of like enjoyed the moment and then he just talked about like just kind of what he was feeling and how th- we were going to play hard and then obviously the game happens it looks really bad at first then Auburn makes a miraculous comeback honestly thought we probably should have won the game we didn't we came up short Carnell throughout though even when Carlson missed that kick and you, you saw him like you know clasp him on the back he kept yeah. the energy up it, even right before we ended up losing, Carnell goes into – he gives his post-game presser. He says, like, he doesn't even consider it a loss because of just, like, what what else happened. I think he said seven players got saved the night before, yeah. which is incredible. Um, so, congratulations to Carnell. He's just, just a really good guy, um, a g- great former player, and I'm really glad that he's getting this experience because, honestly – what he's showing is that maybe he could eventually be a head coach at like a high level. With that being said, I think a couple people are saying like give him the job for Auburn. And while I do think that would be like the greatest storybook ending you could do, I just I'm obviously we're hesitant because he he doesn't have head coaching experience. Right. So you want and with Auburn, this has to be a dynamite hire. Yes, we have to knock it out of the park because if you don't, because. You went you went with the risky hire. You went with Brian Harson. That didn't work. No. So now you need a, a guy that knows the SEC. He's a proven winner. You know he can win. And there's a short list of like people who Auburn wants. And we'll we'll go it off with the first one. I'll let you talk about him first because this is who Christian wants. Christian, you want the Ole Miss Rebels head coach Lane Kiffin. I do. I do. I think I think he would be the perfect fit for Auburn. Um, again, this honestly we might have to go kind of quickly because I could talk about this for a very long time, but I think again this this could change this year, but I think Kiffin understands that his New Year's Six Bowl win last year is the furthest that he's going to get with Ole Miss. Uh, the student body is definitely not there. He complains about that every single week. Ole Miss doesn't have the funds and doesn't have the the appeal, the curb appeal that a program like Auburn does. Again, we've talked about it, Auburn being the Auburn head coaching position, although it's the most dangerous, it it has the highest ceiling. It has the most reward for someone who can be successful there. Auburn has arguably the highest NIL chess in all of college football. And then going from a coaching style, 
watching Ole Miss offense is a beauty. is is a thing of beauty to watch. Just the way that Kiffin's mindset works with helping run the offense is absolutely beautiful. And we don't live in a world anymore where you're going to see nine to six SEC games. You know, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna see that anymore. You're gonna see, especially it's it's gone into it a little bit, but you're gonna continue to see. 52-49 like Tennessee was with Alabama. You're going to continue to see the the higher scoring games because the top athlete, the top offensive athletes are going to come play for SEC schools. And we've seen what Nick Saban, how he's been able to transform his offense in from a, a pound and ground that's just going to run the ball and beat you down like that into getting guys from California like Bryce Young who's going to run a zone read and run that up-tempo offense. And Auburn has to have somebody that's going to – be an offensive guru and have an offensive mindset that's going to put up points because we've talked about it before a great offense in college football will be will be okay with a team that has a terrible defense but if you have a great defense and a terrible offense you're not going to win football games because you're not going to be able to move the ball the only the defense can only get so many stops for a game and I think I've said this before on here but the quote saying offense wins games, defense wins championships isn't true anymore. No, it's not. And I remember they used to attribute that quote to basketball. And even to that point, extent, with, with, with the likes of Steph Curry, like that's kind of just gone yeah. out the window in all sports. But especially football, you have to be able to score. In college football, you have to be able to score or you will not win. That's why you see a good indicator. Look at the NFL. What are all the best teams? They have offensive head coaches. They do. Yeah. I mean, I know Bill Belichick's probably considered the greatest coach of all time, defensive mind and coach, but all his best teams had amazing offenses. Yeah. It was Tom Brady and those great offenses, and they had great defenses too, but you have to have a great offense or like a transformative player like a Cam Newton or a Joe Burrow or a Tim Tebow because if you don't have that, you're not going to win. And it's it's just going more in that direction. And Lane Kiffin is an amazing offensive coach. Yeah. He's a quarterback guru. He has he's got the record to prove it. Obviously, he's had his struggles. And then he went to Bama. He coached under uh, Nick Saban. And since then, he was great at FAU. And now he's and now he's been amazing at Ole Miss. So I know that's a, what most most people want. I talked to a lot of students on campus. They want him. And I was actually a little hesitant at first, but the more the more I think about it, I think Lane Kiffin is probably the best hire you could do. But the question is, so if you don't get Kiffin, and I feel like he's uh, like he's he's up there. The the other two names, there's two other big names. Number one, you have the flashy hire, you have Deion Sanders. Yeah, you know he would come in, you know he would recruit, he would go like out of his mind recruiting, and. Arguably, I think Auburn would have a top five class from the first year for him being here. Just him. The only problem with Dion is he's never coached at this level, so you don't know well would he be able to. Because I've I've heard the statement: well, as long as you have the best players, you're going to win. Well, look at what Jimbo's doing. Yeah, they've got they've got number <laughs> one classes, and they're what three and six. Yep. So you have to be able to coach. So I'll give Nick Saban a little credit. While he does usually have the best players, he wins with them, and you still got to go do that. So can Dion do that? And the other one's Hugh Freeze, the old uh, the old Ole Miss coach. We got two Ole Miss coaches in the running, and he was of course amazing at Ole Miss. Won a Sugar Bowl with them in 2014. Had some stuff. Got fired. Went to Liberty, and he's been knocking it out of the park there. So those are like the three top candidates, and I think everybody wants Lane Kiffin. But the question is, is he going to come? Yeah. And if he beats Bama this weekend, and they go 11 and one, and let's say they don't begin the playoff, but they win a big bowl, do you really see him leaving? I don't know. Yeah. If you tell me that. Lane Kiffin wins two back-to-back New Year's Six bowl games and then leaves. Like I, I just don't see that being being the biggest possibility. Dion, again, like you talk about, 
I don't know if there's a better name for recruiting out there for for key talent. I mean, he got a couple of players like Travis Hunter to come down to an HBCU. So imagine how many guys he could get to a premier SEC school where, hey, you're going to be playing Bama, you're going to be playing Georgia, you are, you're going to be competing with the top talent every single year, you're going to be playing on CBS, you're going to be playing on ESPN every single week. It's a it's a great look from the outside in, but again, the, the concern is the coaching experience. And then again with Hugh Freeze, the, the, the only complaint I've heard with Hugh Freeze is all of the baggage that comes with him, but... I'm I'm at the point of there has to be something to get past that. And I don't mean this in any negative way at all, but look at where the basketball program was nine or ten years ago. All of a sudden there's a guy at Tennessee who loses his job because of baggage yep. because of so. baggage. Auburn takes a risk and obviously honestly Auburn got heat for it too for for hiring oh, Bruce Pearl. And now look at where the Auburn basketball program is and look at who the face of Auburn is. If you ask anybody or you I mean even Auburn fans but you ask anybody who the face of Auburn is right now it's Bruce Pearl. And so yeah, shout out to them for winning their first game yeah, this Monday yeah. to them too. Start off one or no. But if you're if you're looking at it from a we need somebody who has a completely blank Sheed, who is perfectly flawless, like you're not going to find that. Somebody is going to have something there, whether it's again Hugh Freeze with whatever he happened, Dion with the flashiness. If you're looking at Lane and just like his, I mean, I guess you want to call it cockiness or whatever, and his his Twitter fingers and stuff like that. But you're going to have to be able to understand that a, I guess, a risk from from a baggage standpoint is going to be there. But again, like with Bruce Pearl that risk can pay off in such amazing ways because who would have thought that 10 years ago Bruce Pearl would essentially have a lifetime contract with Auburn? Yeah, rightfully so, too. You know, it is interesting. I think all three – honestly, I think all three of those names would do amazing here, especially when you consider Auburn's program, the NIL, the NIL money we have is one of the best in the country, and we just built that really nice facility that just yeah. opened up, and it's amazing. So. I'm telling you, I think Auburn's going to become a really good-looking job here soon, especially with the schedule shakeups coming for Oklahoma and Texas coming to the SEC. I don't know. We could see. I feel like any one of those coaches could do great things here. But that does that does reach the end of the show. Thank you all for listening. We will be back here next Wednesday. Uh, thank you for listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1 FM. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Tailgate Talk with Christian and Donovan. Tune in next week, same time, same place, Wednesdays at 3, for your weekly dose of college football.